Welcome to the Far Flung Tin Can Podcast. This is episode four. We've got Jonathan Warbay, Gary Keenlin, myself, Kyle Philippi, and we're here. We just got back from Peru three weeks ago. Three weeks, yep. And so we're recapping everything Peru, everything crazy, everything spiritual that happens on a trip like Peru. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, like, we, we went to Peru... Two and a half years ago, yeah, first time. That's the last time we were there. Yep, and um, a lot has happened since then. Like, I mean, we we got there, and I mean, there's a church, there's missionaries, and there's a lot, right? And and, and we're like, wow, like this thing has been growing, uh, but there's like a lot also that happened before that, and so you know, I know Gary, um, you you were on the first trip. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of got to see the evolution of um, what's been going on in Peru. You know, um, our, we we went on that first scouting trip, which was... They just stared at us. <laughs> yeah. You literally. know, they were told they're, kind of, they're, you know, pagan and yeah. don't get a lot of outside visitors. They want to one day do tourism. Mm-hmm. And we show up and it was like, we were like the trial run on their tourism and they're doing demonstrations for us and... Gary preached a small message, but it was very somber. Yeah. Stoic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the stories, uh, Kyle, I would like for you to tell is, you know, we had no contacts there in Peru. There's no churches that we were connected up with per se. And you found somebody online. You found, what is it, Francisco online? That's the way you found him. Uh, I found him through a friend of a friend of a friend. And uh, the way we first met him face to face was hilarious. Remember, we got off the train and it was the middle of the night and it was raining. <laughs> it was a driving rainstorm. It was a driving rainstorm <laughs> as usual. It really and was. So it looked like something in a movie. We're getting off and uh, with dim lighting, you know, inside of a train station. Nobody's in it. Nobody's in it. We don't know nobody. We've never been there before. And it's kind of empty, and we're like, uh, what in the world? And we peep around the corner, and here comes, you know, here comes Francisco. So In his trench coat. I was going to say, in his trench coat. Yeah, that made it all the more. Dick Tracy showed up like, to pick us yeah, up. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, And I'm like, who is this cat that Kyle has basically recruited from who knows his where? First, his first decision was a poor one, too. Remember, we debated, do we need two taxis or one? Yeah. And we decided on one. And it was further away than we thought. And we were piled sitting on each other's laps and on luggage. He's like, it's an hour drive. We'll be there in no time. Speed bumps every 30 seconds. Two hours later. And Kyle stuck in the back. Remember that? He's in the back. And that's when you had that, I guess. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. His dark night of the soul or this, you know, soul searching thing. Are we really doing this? And what are we doing? I don't know what y'all were doing. Up there in the front, but I was, I was uh, preparing for the end in the back. Yeah, <laughs> Kyle's walking in the spirit, and I was walking in flesh because I was getting sleepy and dozing off. And every time, <laughs> about the time I'd start into a, get the ream sleep going, you know, rapid eye movement. Here we'd go across the speed bump because they don't use, in order to control the speed in in Peru, there are absolutely no uh, speed limit signs. So the way they control your speed is speed bumps because you'll knock the bottom of your car out. So here we're going <laughs> over these uh, 
And I'd doze off and then hit another one. So I was up there just like, Lord, help me maintain my sanctification. So Kyle's in the back, you know, having that dark night of the soul. So everybody was at a different point, I think. At uh, one point, we Gary looks there. back and was like, if I, if, if I fall asleep one more time and there's another speed bump, I might just lose it. <laughs> yeah. By the time we got back on the second time, you know, the second time we visited, which was two and a half years ago, um, we brought a larger group yeah. and we went island hopping. You know, yeah. we went from island to island and we, I felt like we made headway yeah. on that trip, you yeah. know, seeing them react. Right. Um, and it seemed like it, maybe our, our, our faith boost went up every island. Yep. First yeah. one, we're kind of, okay. All right. Well, here we go. And mm-hmm. they and they still somehow responded. And then we go to the next island. We're like, well, they responded to that. Okay. We put a little more confidence in it. Then they really responded. Right. They're like, yeah, this is happening. Yeah. Um, but I didn't think. I don't know. Maybe you're, I don't know where your faith level is. I didn't expect for things to be where they were on this trip. Oh, yeah, not at all. Well, I mean, like, you think these people have been living on these islands, right, for hundreds of years, right? Thousands. Thousands, yeah. And so, like, in my mind, things just move at a different pace, right? The first time we're there, you know, they were, like you said, they were stoic. They weren't super flexible, open. They were just kind of looking at us like, who are these guys? Where did they come from? (laughs) You know, what are they doing? Yeah. And so... Definitely, yeah. It, it's definitely like impressive and surprising to see where they're at today. And we, we arrived this time and they welcome us. The chief is welcoming us, which we prayed for that chief. I don't know if you remember the last time we were there. Mm-hmm. And he had shared with us, please pray for me because I don't know how to lead my islands. You know, right. I, I don't know how to be a chief. I don't know how to lead. Almost as if it was a mistake that they elected him. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so he had a lot of fear with that. You know, he was kind of insecure. Um, But then to see what happened this time, I mean, I know you came the next day, but when we first got there, Gary, it was crazy because, um, and that's a funny story in itself, but. (laughs) What what, what did happen? Why did you show up the next day? Oh, my goodness. You know, I took this COVID test and you got to take the test within 72 hours of your flight, and they promised me it'll be back within 72 hours. So I'm in the Houston airport looking at my phone, checking my email, uh, clicking on the link, looking to see if the results were going to come back, and sure enough, they did not come back. So I had to rebook my flight, and then the lady working the the desk there where I rebooked, she, she gave me two places that I could call and for $200, you could get a COVID test and get the results back in an hour. For $100, you could get your COVID test back in uh, five hours. And if you wanted to pay $50, you get your COVID test back in, in 10 hours. And then I asked her, I said, well, is this guaranteed? She said, yes. So I actually had to rebook, go to a hotel, go take another COVID test. That night in the hotel, the, my results finally did come back from the first test. But the problem is it's after 72 hours, so it wouldn't have qualified anyway. So the next morning, of course, I went and took the test. Next morning, I come back and got the results. And, of course, they were negative. But what I didn't know is Kyle had given me a bag. He said, this is the bag you're to carry, two bags. 
I didn't even look in it. And I was supposed to get a lock. And I went to two different places to get a lock, but they didn't have the type of lock, the uh, TSA locks. So I gave up on that. Maybe I shouldn't have. And then I fixed a <laughs> lock, uh, my style, with some <laughs> as tape. As I saw it, I was, like, curious. I was like, I, I don't know if he actually bought a lock or not. And I go and look, and this thing is, he's made, like, a, a duct tape zipper. <laughs> He's somehow fashioned a zipper out of duct tape. tape. Probably wouldn't wouldn't keep anybody out. (laughs) I will say Gary's the master of duct tape. He is like a MacGyver. Well, you know, we we sleep in tents. It gets down to 30 degrees. And I knew we had all the tents in the bags. And I put two two tents in two bags. Two tents in another bag. But what I didn't realize was that I put oh four poles all in Gary's bag. So we get there. All we have is mesh. Tarps. Yeah. And mesh. <laughs> yeah. And steaks. Oh, my god. So goodness. if we want to suffocate, right. we can. So luckily, and this is not free branding for Hammock, Kamek, right. but uh, the brand Kamek gave us some gear. And they gave yeah. us a, a hammock stand, a hammock tent. Uh, an underbelly insulator. And a fly tarp. Right, and yeah. a fly tarp. So the chief allowed three of us to sleep in his house. I don't know where he went. And then Carla, <laughs> who was the only female, slept in the tent, hammock tent. Hammock tent. And it got down yeah. to like 28 yeah. with, with on the lake. And she was warmer there than anywhere else the rest of the week. Which we were worried about that, yeah. that right. she was going to be freezing, but she's like... No, this is the warmest I've slept. We got in the tents the next night, and she, she was, was like, can I go back to my hammock? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it was really cold. I remember um, getting some water in a cup, setting it over in the corner of the tent, thinking, you know, I'll get thirsty in the middle of the night, and I, I won't want to leave this tent, you know, once I get in there and kind of get in my sleeping bag. At 3 a.m., I reached over to get my, quote, glass of water, but it had turned into solid sheet, uh, solid ice. <laughs> So I'm over there, and I turn the cup up, and the water's coming out, and I'm looking. It's frozen solid. So that one night, it was really cold. You know, uh, it's crazy. <clears throat> People are like, you know, you know, during the pandemic, we mm-hmm. fed all these families, like 70 families. Yeah. And, you know, people are like, why don't they just fish? And they do, but they've got, are they, what are they called, kingfish? What are yes. they called? Yeah, kingfish. They've got yeah. these kingfish, like the size of your finger. Yeah. And that's what they survived survived on for thousands of years. Right. And then in the 1920s, yep. they decided, you know what? We need to stock this lake with some big fish. So they went to Michigan and stocked it with trout. Yep. And the trout ate up everything else. And now there's like no fish. Yeah. And then and then commercial fishing also took right. out most of the trout. Right. And the trout ate the kingfish. So there's very little fish. Um, and the other thing that they can do is is hunt duck. Yep. And we've seen them do that. I mean, I don't know guns very well, but I'll let one of you describe the best you can these handmade guns. Go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs> well, basically, it's like melted steel. You know, I mean, they make their guns, and it looks like a regular gun, right? But it looks like they got a two-by-four. And they carved it out on one end, right? Which is the butt stock. 
<laughs> and then they put a piece of steel, right, which is the barrel that's hollowed out on the other side. And then they have this little, you know, steel trigger. And then they, you know, it's the old style. I mean, this is like black powder, <laughs> you know, I mean, birdshot, you know, and they're stuffing this thing down in there with notebook paper, you know, as the, wadding. yeah, as the wadding. And so um, we actually had a guy on the trip, Joel, that was given the opportunity to shoot. <laughs> this thing looks like, you remember those, those uh, probably from the fifties, those old guns that had the cork on the end with the string. And when you shoot like it, Elmer it, like, Fun- it like, boom. And it pops off, and this, yeah. oh, that's yeah. what it looked like. Oh my goodness! But yeah, like yeah Joel was the designated. He he duck hunts. <clears throat> yeah. So he was like, I would love to do this, but mm-hmm. you know, it took. I think I, I timed it one one of the times. It took like three minutes to to uh, reload, reload, yep. and you know, so you've got you finally get up to a duck. You're sneaking up on these things. <laughs> of course, they have their own. They're like signaling the ducks. They don't have duck calls. But they they use their hat right above the reed. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. Show for those watching like, the video. They fold they, it up and they're like, yeah. And I guess that looks like bill. a duck. Yeah, I guess that looks like the. I mean, wing. <laughs> the wing I guess flapping. If you have nothing else, you just like. I guess that looks like a duck. And then, and then he takes the the pole and he's like swishing around in the mud and the reed, like, mm-hmm. and he's going, and uh, he's. <laughs> He's calling. What the, did he do? He's <laughs> and then he's shaking the hat, and you know, so you're doing all this work to finally get a duck within range, and you know, the the gun's not very accurate, and so you know, Joel took three shots, all of them were too low, Every and there's one. a delay. We have a video of him yep. trying to shoot this duck, and it's like, <laughs> splash. Yep. I don't oh know God. how that works. Oh, my God. So he goes, oh, I got it. And then he was like, mm-mm. Because <laughs> the duck heard the, the gunshot, and then it dove under the water. Yep. So, it got away every time. So the guy's like, hey, if you really want to experience this, like the if you want to duck hunt, you need to go at 1 in the morning. I'm like, all right. So Gary had just gotten in. He's like, I don't, I don't think so. Jawarbe was like, nah. Was like, everybody's done. just like, no. So I'll go. I'll document. Yeah. Like, again, it's like 28 degrees out. I get up at 1, and I'm, like, ready at 1. And we're walking around the island. He, Eduardo is his name. He's not up. And so we're starting to think we're being hazed because it's been 20 minutes, and he's not coming out. So I'm going up to all the huts and knocking on the reed huts going, Eduardo. 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 Eventually he comes out. 1.30 we leave. We hit open water for, like, 30 yeah. minutes. Just open water. Oh, my goodness. And then we start getting closer to the reed. Like, all right, here we go. We're already cold. And then, like, we park, and he, like, and we have no trains later because Jonathan's asleep. So I'm having to, like, <laughs> oh my goodness. base it Talk off of that. what I can understand. And he is telling me, of the words that I understood, he's saying, Luna uh, después debajo. And I was like, okay. And Joel's looking at me. I'm a translator now. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we have to wait for the sun to go down. And the sun's like up in the sky. So I was like, cuando? The moon. Yeah. The moon. Yeah, yeah, the moon. Go, Sorry, the moon. Down. Yes. And I was like, when? And he's like, probably three. And it's two. It's 210. Oh, my goodness. And That's I crazy. said, I asked him later on when I had a, a, a proper translator. I was like, 
did you just move here? Like, you don't know when the new moon goes down? He's like, I forgot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we sat in a cold boat at 28 degrees, not properly clothed, you mm. know. We were clothed for 28 degrees. Right. For an hour. And we were already cold. And we're just trying to get our feet warm. We're just, you know, waiting. Finally, he's like, okay, it's it's time. <laughs> and so we go out there and hunt duck, and we got four of them. And... Uh, <laughs> there was a long, there was a there was, there was a, a long legged there was there was a moment I, I I need to be careful because I, we found out later on that the law was broken we were instructed to kill a certain bird um, and we were like no he's like yes we need it to eat so we'll just say we'll just say that much we'll just, we, say, we, yeah. were just, we'll just we were just scarred right yeah we were scarred we were scarred from, scarred from <laughs> a bird that died um, but yeah so that I mean that's how they survive yeah. Um, very small fish and duck. Mm-hmm. And they set out nets, like they, they set out nets pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. And they wake up early, early morning and um, like before the sun comes up to start going to check those nets. They let us try duck and potatoes and Warbe tells us, he, he said, yeah, they cook these in ice. And I went, oh my I went, uh, like listen i was like hold on (laughs) no what he goes yeah this is cooked in ice i said i heard you listen no but they this is what they told me okay so they said (laughs) now now maybe i just got lost in translation right in my mind but this guy said and he said specifically in spanish he's like these are cooked in ice right and so i asked you four times (laughs) to explain yourself and he continued to say, they're okay. cooked in ice. And I was like, that, I understand you're telling you're saying, me but. they are prepared with heat is what cooking is in ice. <laughs> and so eventually, if anybody's wondering, which since then, I've seen like three different places on like YouTube. Or like I've heard people talk about this method and I've never heard of it before, but apparently you can soak in cold water, something like potatoes, which we saw, I think the next day or two. Yeah, they after. just soaked it. Yep. Which kind of makes me nauseous thinking about it, but they just soaked the potatoes until they were soggy, pretty much. Yeah, but they but used... they were warm when we ate them, so I don't. I think I think they like heat. They they soaked them and then they were yep. able to just get them to a warm temperature, just so it's Oil them appeasing. Yeah, mm. to your mouth. Yeah. Which is like I think he said that they like set it to where the ice can set on it in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a process, but yeah, going to that one uh, floating island, that bog. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. At sunset, you know, they said they want to go to a family that even like the locals never really go to this um, this this island. I only saw one hut. Was there was there others? There was there was two huts, but I think one was like the kitchen. Right. Yeah. But um it was so it was shallow we couldn't even get in. We're like trying to like push our way through the water and it just it was stagnant water. It smelled awful. It smelled man. just yeah. yeah. And um, you know, we're like Eduardo's yelling from the boat, like, brother, brother, you know, can I come? Romano. Yeah. Romano. Yeah. So we like get off the boat, walk in. Uh, Which we didn't know what to expect at first. 
you know, because every other island we've seen or any other hut we've seen on anything that's ground, solid ground was on a decent island, right? Mm -hmm. Like most of the islands, I think all of the islands we had visited up to that point um, were, you know, fairly clean, mm -hmm. um, you know, new layers of reed. And so the, in my mind, that's what I expected to see when they said, hey, we're going to another island. Because even on the way to the island where we stay, we, we pass a few islands and they're all pretty much similar in, right. in the way they build them. <clears throat> but I didn't expect that. Oh, and that whole family seemed like they had a little bit of a sickness. I yeah. don't know if overall sick or if they just all had a bug, but uh, health didn't seem great. Obviously, no money. Mm. What, what do you think, Gary? I mean, just going in there doing that. Yeah, you know, that was probably one of the more impactful, you know, things we did for me on the floating islands. Um, you know, first of all, their their hut was very small, and we're trying to cram in there <laughs> along with them. And uh, it was all the building could do, to, uh, if you want to call it a building, to, you know, get, us, get all of us in there. And, you know, um, they're a different culture, and... You're sitting there thinking, well, how how we're going to minister to them, and you know, of course, uh, Jonathan did awesome job, you know, translating, and and of course we had uh, Leo and Francisco. Of course, Francisco didn't speak any English, but but Leo speaks sufficiently enough. But you know, presenting the gospel. Um, once we started into that, then then there was a comfort that that I felt there. But um, but I, you know, I lost it there emotionally. Uh, it's like one of those things when tears start flowing, you can't hardly control it. Probably don't need to, uh, truth be known. But, you know, it just is one of those things where uh, my heart was really going out to them um, as far as empathy and compassion. And, of course, it's exciting in one sense because they were just so open, yeah. open to hear, yeah. open to receive. And we had the food. What did we have? We had rice. Uh, rice, rice sugar, oil, oil yep. and sugar yep. in these bags right right in front of them. And uh, you could tell that that made a huge difference Yeah, as far as their diet and what they're able to, you know, uh, put together for meals for the families. Um, my mom and a dad, what was it, four? I think it was four kids. Four, four kids. kids yeah. yeah, four kids and kind of stair-stepped. But they, they listened and... What's your strategy in that? type of scenario you're going in there don't know if they have really any they may have some acknowledge you know yeah. uh background they may have none yeah uh you know if anything the gospel is cross-cultural uh in nature so if you can communicate it to them you know the bible promises his word you know will, will not return void so the content uh it's going to be the same. It's who Christ is and what he did. You're presenting them that and then giving them opportunity to become followers like we are, disciples of Christ. But on this occasion, I just felt like, again, visuals. Mm. As much visuals as I can use, I think, uh, helps break down the communication barrier. Even though Jonathan does a good job, I think the visual helps and aids. Mm -hmm. So I use Evangelism Cube, uh, as you all know. And uh, just went through that with them with the pictures that, that helped, and it, the kids seemed to pay attention more even with that you know with that cube, you yeah, know, like a Rubik's cube. Yeah. 
Did did you or Francisco or Leo like instruct them to like lift their hands? No. Wow. That, you know that. That's huge. Yeah. There was yeah, a really that special moment. Always throws me off. Yeah. No, not in a bad way. It's just it's mm-hmm. it's so weird if you don't have any type of church background. Right. right. You know, we kind of do it as second nature. Like right. oh, we right. just know, and when you see it visually, you're like, you know, it's on film. When you see it, you're just like, oh yeah, they're receiving. But like, if you stop, you're like, hold on a second. This is my yeah. prompt them or tell them. How lift is this even? How? Why <clears throat> is that their response? Right. Which you know this. Uh, and th- that was a really special moment, I think, that like when you were speaking, we prayed. I know, Kyle, you spoke, said a few things. And th- there was just some really, really special moments that happened. Um, one of the things that I was really, um, this is, I-, I just knew that the Lord was working in that moment. is <clears throat> because um, there was like this level of willingness, right? Um, we've noticed hesitation in the past. Right. right f- from right. them, right? From a lot of people that live on the islands. Um, and I remember Pastor Francisco saying, you know, this is your choice, right? Like you don't feel like you have to do this. We're just off like we're just telling you about Jesus. And like even explaining that there was still such a like eagerness, right? Mm-hmm. And a willingness in their hearts. Um, and then when you gave them the Bibles, which I mean, that's I feel like that's my favorite part. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've given Bible uh, a Bible to someone and they've just very carelessly taken it. Right. Every time we've given someone a Bible, when we go to the islands, even in La Rinconada, it's like we're giving them a bar of gold, mm-hmm. which it's crazy because like how many Bibles do we have sitting at home, right? Mm-hmm. Just on our nightstand on a bookshelf and we give them a new testament bible fine print and they think we've given them like a million dollars and so like just that whole moment in this house and you know another thing that i noticed too that they were alone like you could slightly mention that a second Mm -hmm. ago kyle like they were alone um isolated that's right you know, because I think most everyone else lives in community. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it was such a, you know, um, in that culture, apparently in the religious side of that culture, I'll say that, apparently they're used to paying for anything that is supposed to be good, that's really supposed to be given to them freely. Uh, they, I've noticed they're they're used to you know paying for it. So when you hand them the Bible, the look they always have, it looks as if they're like, all right, well, how much do I got to pay for this, you know? Right. We're and taught then, that on on Christian TV, anyways. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, that's not just you get me on this. Them. <laughs> You're pretty mean, you know. Get Given, me on that we'll topic. send you. Yeah, we'll we'll send you. And when we tell them it's free. Uh, their faces just start lighting up, and then they, they want it. They're hungry for it. And uh, same thing with prayer. Yeah, you know, they walked up uh, as you remember on the first trip, and some of them had money trying to pay us to pray for them. We yeah. said, "Put the money up. Uh, it's, it's free." I like to use yeah. this. It's free, but it's not cheap. You know, uh, <laughs> heaven's open, and yeah. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from us, and He'll talk back to you. 
when you start explaining that, it kind of breaks down that whole religious culture in South America, you know, right. where you have to pay to pay to go and confess your sins. You got to, you know, pay to get somebody to listen to you to confess your sins. You got to pay to get some. You got to, you know, you pay to get somebody out of purgatory. Although we don't, you know, sure. once once you die, we obviously don't believe that, we believe that's it. You can't. Yeah. Your fate's sealed at that point. There's no changing it. Yeah. But in that culture, you know, you have to pay for everything. Right. And so when you come and and give them something, um, man, it really really opens the door for evangelism at that point. And it means a lot. Yeah. You know, um, so the chief, right before we left the island, which we, there's so much that happened. I mean, we got to spend time with the kids, right? Um, like there's missionaries there now, um, which there wasn't before. A church plant as well. A church plant. Right. I think we were at one of the first services mm-hmm. that they had. Um, yeah. And so that was really special to see um, because we never th- like we never imagined that it would be here now. This this quickly. This quickly. Right. Third trip. Right. And there's a church. There's two missionaries that live on oh, the nice. island. And, and a people. That was shocking. A, a, a like an entire people group, multiple islands of people that yeah. are like. Asking us, please, before you leave, will you explain the gospel deeper for us? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like we want a better understanding. Where did you find a whiteboard? Well, I so, just you just showed up on a boat one day with <laughs> <laughs> a whiteboard. Well, if you remember when we went in the uh and had the first, you know, when we first got there, we had the church service in, in yep. the raised up building, you know, on stilts. I turned and saw saw the whiteboard. But the wild thing is, as I was finally landed and finally got over there and and left, y'all were already on the island islands, and I got in my boat a day later and was coming across. And Kyle had told me, you know, we want you to speak at this first meeting uh, on the way over there, praying. Um, it's like the Lord showed me a whiteboard, and I'm like, yeah, Lord, where am I? Where are we? There's no whiteboards over there. Where are we going to get one? And I be doggone, as they say. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as I walk in there, I turn, and they had a whiteboard up on, on the wall. I thought, wow, this is going to be good. I, I yeah. just feel like, you know, God's going to use that. And sure enough, the request came because they've been growing. That That's that a shocking thing. We, re- You know, I was wondering, the people that were converted two and a half years ago, are they still living for the Lord, still followers of Christ? Right. Not only are they still following Christ, but their numbers have grown. Right. And then not only that, but they've grown spiritually. Right. And there's a hunger that they didn't have before, and they want more. And so when they ask us that, I, you know, the Lord had been showing me how to make more drawings, if you will, yep. visual aids yep. on, on a whiteboard. And so we just used that whiteboard from that uh, raised up, I call, I'm going to go ahead and call it a church, you know, yeah. raised yeah. up schoolhouse on stilts. And that's what we use to go deeper at their request. Right. And, you know, that as much as anything, that was a, a great opportunity. So not only were we doing evangelism, right. we're doing some teaching and some pastoral impartation, yeah. you know, into a body of believers that are not only living for the Lord, they're being a, being a light, you know. Now, I know Pastor Leo <clears throat> um, 
you know, he, he kind of tag team with you a little That's bit. That's true. Right. And yeah. um, talk a little bit about, because I know you were, you, you had, like you said, you had all these drawings and you really had a great message on like just spirit, the spiritual walk with Christ, right? Like what it is, what it is to just go deeper in Christ. And you talked about a few other things. Um, maybe talk a little bit about like that moment when you tag team, because I feel like something happened there. Yes, definitely. Because I was trying to, I was like, Lord, help me. You know, God answers your prayer, but a lot of times he'll answer it through somebody else. Right. You know, he'll answer your prayer. If you call out for help, well, he might not send you an angel, but he'll send somebody that he spoke to. And that was the case of what you're talking about. So I was trying to make this simple and not complicated. Uh, I know they say they wanted to go deeper, but, you know, a lot of times people say that you still need to be you know, clean and clear and make it simple. Don't make it complicated. But the the key here was what he brought to the table was a practical application of what I just taught. Right. You know, how do I take what he's taught here and apply it? And he he came with some everyday cultural relevant things uh, in their life that applied. And and, and that broke it open right there. Because, you know, I couldn't really understand what he was saying, but it looked like he was talking about, when somebody comes to you and they present you and they want you to drink alcohol, how do you mm-hmm. how do you overcome that? How do you yep. defeat that yep. temptation? Yep. And um, you know, he used several scenarios like that. And my main thing is, you know, everybody says, "Well, you, uh, did you teach?" Well, if you didn't learn anything, then I didn't teach. I don't care what I used and how much content I had. I'm not really a teacher if the people listening didn't learn or mm-hmm. or didn't receive it. Right. So I kept on checking. Did they receive it? And I asked Leo. He said, "Oh, they got it. They got it. They got it." You know, that was the main thing. And I think the reason they got it is because of what mm-hmm. he did right. that connected to it. That's, the tag team that's such a key mm-hmm. in ministering in these type of places because we don't want to come and give them American Jesus. Yes. Right. Which is mostly what we know. Right. Yeah. We're not trying to change their culture. We're not trying right. to make them Westerners. We're not trying right. to make them American. We're trying to bring them the gospel that makes sense to where they are, that can be applied where they are. Right. And so that's why we like partnering so much with someone that's who's good. a minister in that area so that we can go, here's truth. Um, we're bringing you truth that is through our lens, and that's what we know. And some of it's going to stick, and some of it's not. Right. Right. Here's someone who's local as well that yep. can give us pr- fresh perspective and context. All of it's truth, right? Um, but it makes all the difference. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Kyle, like I, I want to, I want to start talking soon about like La Rinconada, but there's this one moment right before we left the island that was like I think really special because the chief mm. came to us and was like, "Thank you for visiting us. Thank you for the support." You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we blessed the island um, that let us set up a tent there every day. Blessed all the families there. Just a, a small gift. It ended up being about thirty dollars a family. Just to say thank you, you know, we know we're an inconvenience. We love you guys. You know, we don't want them to think that we're a source of income, but we also want to honor them. And um, we did different things. We talked about how we fed them through the pandemic and all those mm-hmm. all those things that we did physically. But the chief was like, you were grateful for all those things, but the best thing by a long shot that you've done is you've brought us the gospel. Mm-hmm. That to us wow. is worth far more than anything else that you brought to us physically. Yeah. And that was just, you know, there were some serious physical needs. Not like we, you know, 
feeding, feeding through a pandemic where they can't rely on tourism or anything that they normally use for income, like there were serious needs and for them to say, but still the gospel. Mm. And that's how we view it too. Yeah, We would hope that that's how people view it. You, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what people's needs are and what they value stuff as. So the fact that he was like, the gospel mm-hmm. was the you know was the the big thing. Wow. That is I didn't, I didn't that's know the biggest like yeah. mission accomplished thing that can be said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I you know um, this time we got to go back to Lavrin Canada and we um, got to see um, I think similar but slightly different. Um, moments, right? right? And we had last time, I think last time we were kind of on, we were still in the same square, but we were in a different area. Um, and it was just, God just did a lot of different things this time, mm-hmm. right? Um, we saw things we hadn't seen before. Um, and it's probably, the more you go, you just start seeing different things. Um, but Gary, I know you had a couple special moments um, praying for some people. Um, can you talk about those? Yeah, Um you know, if I'm as I'm sitting here thinking, you know, of the three trips, they all had different personalities. Yeah. Uh, different things happened. We had different team members, obviously, on on all three trips. Uh, but I did notice there was this theme. You know, I mean, uh, you know, when you, the difficulty is trying to relate to them um, in a way that they can understand. And I remembered a conversation, or and it, we've got this on film. Remember the first trip we were riding on the train. And we were talking about what we needed to do up there. And you had a, the Lord had given you a revelation about gold. Mm. And it's Acts chapter 3. You'd, you'd preached a little mini-sermon right there. You, you know, it's the part where uh, Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And yeah. they said, silver and gold oh, we don't yeah. have, but such as we have, we give yeah. to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So even on that first trip, that was kind of the theme. You yeah. know, we... I think it's on video where I'm I'm preaching and I'm telling them you're searching for this gold, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not finding it. And but we come in the name of the one that made the gold. We come in the name of the one that made the mountain that's got the gold hidden in it. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you'll get to know him, you know, he'll help you with every part of your life. So that was kind of the, on the first trip. Well, this this time I really felt led by the Lord to continue that theme. Yeah. So I, I used it, you know, in a way to describe, hey. You guys are searching for this gold, and you're 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 putting all this effort in for something that's going to vanish one day. Mm. You know, moth the Bible says, and rust will corrupt. Thieves will break through and steal. And if you remember, that's their issue. Is even though you might find the gold, you you you're not out of the woods yet, so to speak, because you know around the corner is going to be somebody's getting ready to strong arm rob you <laughs> and take what you've worked so hard to get. The first trip, I actually prayed for a guy that had amassed uh, or the equivalent of $100,000. He'd found a life savings only to have somebody steal it from him. Yeah. And he was on the verge. Remember that? He was on yeah. the verge of depression. He was wanting to kill himself. Yeah. So he had a spirit of suicide on him. So that theme continued on, and that's kind of interesting. Although all three trips are completely different, completely different personality, there was a commonality, a thread, you know, in the things that Lord the Lord put in us to be able to, you know, witness. But alluding to what you'd first made the statement, you know, as soon as we, we got there, I sat down my bags and the Lord drew me to this couple. Yeah. And I could tell they'd been up all night. I could tell they were a couple. Uh, they were a ish, <laughs> an item, if you will. Uh, and I could tell they were uh, 
um, having hangover from drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And I could tell they wasn't getting along at that point. Uh, and I could tell, you know, the devil was really working in their situation. So I went up to the girl. Now, you got to keep in mind, I, I talked a lot to this girl and asked a lot of questions. So I got a lot of information back. Come to find out she had no spiritual background whatsoever in anything, not even Catholicism, never even darkened the door of a synagogue, a church, or a, a whatever, you know. And she made this statement, and it kind of like, uh, I was like, wow. So here's this non-religious you know, uh, religious person telling me this. She said, you know where you're standing? And I said, well, it's my third time up here. I'm in Lorraine, Canada. She said, no, that's, that's not what I mean. She said, you're literally standing in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, somebody wow. apparently in her life had mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. She, she knew enough to know, and she said that's where we were standing. Wow. Well, I'll cut through some details. You know, she ended up receiving Christ, and the, the, her, her, her partner, if you will, he ended up receiving Christ. And that was really the first two, as we hit the ground there, that received Christ right yeah. there in that plaza. We ended up seeing 76. How many salvations was it? Was it? it? it was 74. 74. Total. Yeah. 74 total. Yeah. Gave out 500 Bibles. We found the we found a little uh, alleyway of restaurants. Yeah, like that wasn't there before, was it? I don't remember. I don't remember. I never saw it. I never saw it. There's right beside the market that we always go to. You know, there's just this like corridor of restaurants, and I tell you what, it was like cheers in there. Oh yeah, they were happy to see us just come through. And we were handing it out Bibles, so praying good. for people. It was just, yeah, things smelled oh amazing. There was no way I was going to eat it. I wanted to, though. I have to admit. <laughs> With, I mean, if salmonella don't get you, the mercury will. The mercury don't get you. The goat the, head will get you. The goat head will get you. <laughs> there were goat heads <laughs> there. Not, if you want to bowl a goat head, you arsenic. could do that. I yeah. mean, or, and then if, and if, that, if you make it through all those, then you still have the raw sewage. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah but we just saw so many people. Remember that the butcher yeah. that we met? Young guy in his twenties, probably yeah. super yeah. sweet guy. Nice story. He had a nice, nice yeah, little he, business. I mean, he he had the biggest smile I've seen up there. Yeah, um, and I wasn't expecting for him to say that he's just really struggling with alcohol abuse and and the effects of that. And so, you know, we just kind of talked him through and exchanged numbers. But just you know, there's there's real gems up there. Yeah. Real sweet people. Yeah. Yeah. I met a guy that was um, he was like a, sem- a seamstress. And so he works on all the uniforms, you know, those jumpsuits they yeah. wear. And yeah. so, you know, after, yeah. The, yeah. And so like after they wear out and whatnot, they, uh, you know, he just fixes them for him. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. but we were talking because I, I was walking by, actually, I was walking into the corridor, right? Mm-hmm. Into this, like where all the restaurants are and everything. And I hear this like guy in speaking in Spanish, it's like a recording, it's like a video, right? This guy's listening to like a, a sermon, this guy's just going in and I'm like, what in the world is that? So I'm like, I start like looking for where the speaker's at, like looking to see if I could hear where the audio is coming from. And then I realize it's this little shop and he's just sitting there, uh, you know, just sewing away, just, you know, happy as all can be, you know? And, and, and so I start asking him questions like, you know, what are you doing? And, and, um, and it was really cool to hear some of his testimony. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we've seen, we've seen God move in really unique ways. Mm -hmm. And I know the first time we went, we were like watching our backs because we didn't know what to expect. Uh, You know, we were on the train. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And then everybody was like begging us, please don't go to this place. Like, this is very dangerous. Like, most people that go there, you know, find themselves in a, in a very dangerous moment, mm-hmm. right? And, I mean, and, and rightly so. I mean, not only is it like the weather is crazy, right. you're at 17,000 feet of elevation. So, you've got so many things that are stacked up against you. Um, there's no law. You know, I think there's, what did they say, four policemen? Something like that. For the whole for 60, city. 000 for 60,000 people. For 60,000 people. Um, oh, my goodness. Now, Kyle, you know, we, you went um, the last time we were there. I didn't get to go. Gary didn't get to go. I snuck off. <laughs> he snuck to go off. up the mountain. Yep. And I felt like I had assignment up there. And I felt like you guys had assignment down there. And Gary is an adventurer. So I did not tell him. I told my wife, let Gary know in about 30 minutes. I thought, <laughs> he can't catch up after 30 minutes. That where I had gone. And we met uh, a guy who owns a mine. Yeah. And we led him to the Lord. And what I didn't know is that Francisco, for two and a half years, has been discipling him through the that's phone. That's huge. That's you know, huge. Sending him videos and messages yeah. and things like that. And really kept up with him so much that we all decided to go up on the mountains at 17,322 feet. And we stopped at his mine. He wanted to drop off a couple Bibles for him and a note. And he wasn't there uh, in his office while well, he was in the mine. He actually, I don't know if you heard this. He asked uh, Warbe, oh, yeah. were you guys in the mine? And they're like, uh, yeah. He goes, yeah, I heard you. He was in there working. Wow. Further back. It goes 50. You know, when we walked in? Yeah. Yeah. He was over. like. He could hear our voice. Yeah. He's like, were you in the mine? Yeah. Didn't you, yeah. didn't he say it goes, it goes 1500 meters He said back? it 400 meters. 400 meters 400 back. Meters. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so we talked to him and he's like, he messaged him on the phone that, that we were there. So he came running out of the mine and met up with us after we prayed on top of the mountain. He was like, my life has changed. You have no idea. Yeah. My whole family's changed. My all my circumstance. I, you know, we were hearing through translation. I don't know if I heard everything, mm-hmm. but he was just ecstatic that we brought him the gospel. And it's just so good. You don't get you a lot of times when you do this kind of thing. You don't. You move on to the next place, or you know, you don't see the same people. You don't yeah. get to see the fruit of it. And so it's just such a win when you can talk to someone that mm-hmm. is like, yeah. My life has changed. On the way down, um, when we were walking down towards the city um, after you guys, because you guys went up mm-hmm. high and prayed over the city. Um, I think Pastor Francisco was this man's like mountain goat. He's just mm-hmm. literally just running up the rocks and, you know, finding random people, praying for them. I think there was three people that got saved that we didn't <clears throat> know of that he had randomly found right. as he mm-hmm. was yeah. just going through the mountain. And uh, but on our way down, um, Jaime, right, mm-hmm. was I was trying to think of his name. Jaime was telling us um, that he had actually been discipling someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's just like, wow, right? That's that's mm-hmm. my response too because it's like, like you said, like we went up there, we preached to this guy. It was a minor. Pastor Francisco has been discipling him. And then he's like already making the connection. You know what? I need to go do this too. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing up a great, great point there because, uh, you know, when you go as an evangelist or a missionary and you're doing outreach, you know, the question I always get from pastors that support far flung 10 can, all right, the 362 on the second trip received Christ. Yeah. What are y'all doing for follow up? 
All right. Uh, who's taking care of them when y'all leave? That's always right. a concern. So I think that's this third trip answered that question because the Lord has worked out for two other missionaries to be up there, include which is plus you know plus Leo and Francisco, yeah, and they're working with mm-hmm. these new converts, and so that was the biggest thing, and the major thing was. You know, the enemy sometimes, if you're an evangelist and, and you're you're praying with somebody and they're becoming followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, you know, you get this voice that says nothing really happened. They didn't really get transformed. Mm-hmm. Well, this third trip proved to me that it's worth it all. You know, no matter how hard this is, no matter what we got to do, no matter how much money it costs, it is worth it. And the gospel is there and it's bringing forth fruit and... This third trip spiritually was easier there on the mountain, but I think the key was when y'all went up there on the second trip, yeah. Because the governor that we met down in the plaza while y'all were y'all were up there praying, in in their way of saying it, in the Peruvian way of saying it, he was talking to Mary, and I was standing there. He basically said, "We got the keys to the city." You know, he might have not known what he was saying, but spiritually speaking. That's exactly Jesus said. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. Whatsoever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So I believe a, a direct result, a, de- a direct correlation was when y'all were up there in that last time you prayed. That's why this time we saw the fruit of a guy still living for the Lord and his life has progressed. Discipleship's going on and we got the keys to the city. Yeah. So it's like we got an open door, an open right. heaven you know, to minister there. And that's why I feel like the liberty was there, you know, to be able to do that. And so part of it, I think, is the Lord saying, y'all are doing my will. You're in my will. Keep on doing it, you know, because we feel like that's a place we're going to return to, you know. Some some might think, like, aren't there Peruvians that can just go up there and minister? You guys live in North America. You're going to fly all the way there. When we went the first time, and Francisco's telling Leo, hey, these guys want to go up there. Leo was like, I don't think you should be going up there. Mm. And Leo is a, you know, he's a pastor and doing what he's doing. And, and, of course, Francisco had done some stuff on the Floating Islands. But Leo ends up watching the first video, the episode oh, wow, we this did. this is good. And yeah. it stirs something in him. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, these men came all the way from America for my people. Yeah. Why am I not going there for them? That's a good point, Kyle. And so Leo is stirred by us going. And so he starts doing work on the islands. And then they appoint him to be head over missions for uh, (laughs) Peru for the Church of God. So then they start sending him missionaries after seminary. And then he's saying, I know where they need to go. Thank you, Jesus. And then so now now there's missionaries there full time serving because he was inspired by us going to a place that were not our people, quote unquote. That's good. Oh, and that's so great. Point. Now there is this. It's always better to have locals and and, and people right. that yeah. know the culture. So, but now there's this database of missionaries and Leo and Francisco and and the and and Hyman. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all taking up a call to do something where they can do it more constant. Yeah, and we are serving as motivators and encouragers and just let's go let's tell the story let's do this anything is possible and then yeah. we leave and we step away and we come back a year later but in the meantime there are people on the ground now that are just thank chipping you, away at thank it. you lord that are yes. pouring in yeah 
Man, there's I feel like there's so many stories. Oh my goodness. You know, I mean we could probably go on for a whole nother hour. Another podcast. <laughs> yeah, a whole nother one, podcast another because get all the all the details. I mean, we've seen miracles. We've pe- yeah. we've seen people, I mean, their lives completely transformed in an instant. I mean, that first trip we prayed for nine hours nonstop. <laughs> we had no idea what we, where we were, what we were doing. We just know we were praying yeah, for people. Put it on put it on auto mode, you know. Yeah. Just, just kept going. <laughs> I think Kyle says he looks over at me and you look like at one point. We look like, yeah, you look, look like, like an Paul apostle. No, you just look like an apostle they, that is is giving his man. last mantle. <laughs> Cause these guys were so tired. I went off and did some drone footage and by the time I came back, they are sitting like on a curb and lifting their hands up to touch people's heads and they're like bowing down and they're just praying their last Lord bless them. Oh, That's literally what we, we were so tired in that yeah. moment. At that point we'd given everything. My voice was so tired. <laughs> yeah, he was raspy. Working overtime trying to breathe and then Yeah. The other thing too is you were sick on that trip. He's uh, sick every time we go to Lorinka now. And I don't know what it is. Poor Jonathan has to bear the <laughs> physical attack that comes from At first, I thought it was just random, but I've noticed that every time I I go to Peru, (laughs) that first time when we were in Cusco and we only slept like three hours and we got up and he he had a sinus infection and he wasn't going to get up. I was like, Jonathan, I know you feel awful, but we have a train to catch. You just have to get up. You just have to. There's no, there's just no alternative. He's like, okay. That morning I woke up, you were doing an update video. Oh my gosh. He was hacking in the background. He was hacking in the background. I'm like sitting there trying to do the video and he was like, oh. I was like, please, we have 20 minutes to do this update. Um, so, you know, this Peru trip that happens every year. Yep. Um, it looks like we've kind of set that we're going to try to do these probably every November. Yeah. You can sign up on the website and apply to go on this trip yeah. to the floating islands. And then we do go to Larinconada, but that part is optional. Um, because it there there's I mean we've had really great success and the Lord's with us but we right. you there just don't risks. know what's going to happen we yeah. can't guarantee your safety up on yeah. the mountain so you know if you sign up for the trip you're going to experience the floating islands and then when it comes to the day in Lemurian Canada you can choose to go up on the mountain or you can have a mm-hmm. a free day and go to the hot springs yep. uh, which the hot springs is a whole great. thing of itself yeah. Um, yeah. so we want you to. Um, we want you to join us in these yes. stories and these adventures and and bring the giftings that God gives you. Yeah. Right. Um, because I only have a, I only have a certain skill set and Jonathan mm-hmm. has a skill set, mm-hmm. Gary has a skill set. And as we get people to come on, the Lord opens different doors for different types of ministry because people are are gifted in different ways and missions looks like a million different things. Yeah. So we want you to join us. Yeah. And um we want you to keep listening to this podcast. That's it. Yes. You so, want to close us out? Let's do it. Yes. Thanks for so much for joining us today for this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, be watching out for the next one, and we will see you next time.